you need to expect hostility in this world. We experience various trials that feel like we are being tested by fire. And this, these trials run the gamut of disease and death and economic hardship and persecution for our faith. All of these things are indicative of the truth that the world is broken. The world has fallen. Sin came into the world in Genesis chapter 3. And we live in a world where we experience a fallen world every day through disease, economic hardship, persecution. We know firsthand of the passions of the flesh that wage war against our souls. Every one of us in this room knows what it means to be tempted to sin. The world wages war with our minds, with our eyes, with our tongues, with our heart. We, we know that there is a war going on and we're tempted and we can say right with Paul, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. <laughs> we know what that's about and that is evidence that we're living in war times. We're not in peace times. The peace times are coming. Jesus Christ is coming again. It's a guarantee. That's where the peace times are. We live in the war right now. And we're looking for hope. And Peter is telling us we have to look outside of ourselves because the world doesn't offer us hope and we ourselves don't offer ourselves hope. God is our hope. Yeah, we sense a very real presence of an adversary that is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. He wants to devour our marriages. He wants to devour our children. He wants to devour our church. He wants to devour pastors. He wants to devour businesses, nations, the unborn. There is a, an adversary in this world that is truly, truly prowling around and he's wanting to devour God's people. Do you feel the weight of the war that you live in? You must. Do not relax in this age that we live in. And I'm going to tell you this morning that if none of what I've just said resonates with you, that might be an indicator that you're a citizen of the wrong kingdom. If you don't feel any of the weight of this, and you feel comfortable and happy and at peace in this world, then you need to do an audit. Because it could very well mean that you're a citizen of the world instead of a citizen of the kingdom of God. So where is your hope? Where do you find encouragement? Where's your solution? Because you need a solution. Are you looking to yourself or to the world to defeat the undefeatable enemy? Or are you looking outside of yourself and outside of this world to the one and only who can help us in a great, great time of need? That's the question this morning that every one of us has got to leave here with a solid answer to. We are all in need. We are all in need of a very powerful, omnipotent deliverer. Because if we don't get that, we're going to be defeated. And I'm going to tell you this morning that from this passage that we're going to look at in 1 Peter chapter 1, there is nothing more powerful 
more potent in all of existence than our God who represents himself to us in three persons. He's one God, but he is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so this sermon this morning is a sermon about the doctrine of the Trinity. It's that simple. And we're going to chew on one verse out of 1 Peter chapter 1. We did two verses last week, and we're going to repeat verse 2 this week. Next week, I think we're going to go 3 through 12. So we're going to spread out here. But this doctrine of the Trinity is so massive that it merits us looking at what Peter says in one verse so that we gain hope as we live in a world that's waging war against us because we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And I say that to the Christians in this room. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm glad you are here. Because you're going to get a glimpse into the Christian life. And you're going to get an understanding for what it means to be a follower of Christ. And you're probably going to hear some answers to questions that you've had about why is this such a battle, this life that I live in. And you're going to see this morning that your only hope is in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you'll pledge your heart and your life to Him, you will have hope in this world that you're living in that's raging war against you. So this is a sermon for everybody in the room, and we need to go through this together saying, am I a citizen of earth and therefore not a follower of Christ, or am I a citizen of heaven and one of Christ's own? So as I said, we need deliverance. The audience that Peter wrote to, and that includes us, needs to be delivered from an adversary that's waging war against us in a multitude of battlefronts. And we need a powerful deliverer. And there's nothing more powerful than God himself. And so God here in this passage is going to reveal himself as one God in three persons. And this is one of the top, I mean, it's like a tie for the top three or four doctrines in Christianity. Is the Trinity. It's not something that we can take or leave. It is absolutely at the core of Christianity. And it's unique only to Christianity. There is no other world religion that has one God in three persons. You know, I've heard, I've heard people say that we and the Muslims, Christians and Muslims, we need to just get along because we all worship the same God. That is not true. That is absolutely not true. I remember that was said by some highly visible public figures on the state, uh, on the Capitol steps of the, of, uh, the United States Congress in Washington, D.C. We had highly esteemed leaders of our nation that claimed to be followers of Christ that said, we all worship the same God, we just need to get along. And I'm telling you this morning, we do not worship the same God that the Muslims worship. Because the Muslims do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. He was merely a prophet who walked around on earth for a while with Muhammad. They do not believe in the Holy Spirit who penetrates people's hearts when they profess Jesus Christ as Lord and lives with inside of people and guides them and leads them until Jesus comes again. They don't believe in this. The Bible is clear. God is one God in three persons, and he never stops being one while he's the other. He is simultaneously three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is what Peter tells us this morning, and that is how he encourages us 
to stay the course as we, as we wage war in the world that we live in. And so here's what I want to do. I want to show you, but we could spend weeks looking at the Trinity in the Bible. I want to show you the Trinity in the Bible as it relates to two types of creation. Okay? The very first type we find in Genesis chapter 1 when God made the world. And here's what Genesis 1 and 2 tell us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So in the beginning, God created. It's God the Father, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. There's two persons in the Trinity right there in the first two verses of the Bible. Where's Jesus? Where's the Son? Where's God the Son? We have God the Father, God the Spirit. Where is God the Son? Well, He's named explicitly in the New Testament in John chapter 1. We could go there real well. We could also go to Hebrews chapter 1 and see a great manifestation, presentation of Jesus Christ present in creation. Let's look at the Colossians passage, though. That's a biggie. Let's go Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Paul writes, He, speaking of Jesus Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created. By who? By Jesus Christ, the Son, God the Son. By Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. That's God, y'all. Jesus Christ is God. And He was present, Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on the first day of creation. John 1, 3 says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That is clear. So Jesus, God the Son, God the Father, and God the Spirit, present on day one, when everything was spoken into existence. Present. They didn't come along later. Paul tells us, that's... that's creation, Paul tells us that God is responsible for new creation. What's new creation? It's new birth. It's rebirth. It's being born again. These are all terms that the Bible uses for salvation. So God created everything in the, in the physical creation. He created you and me. He spoke one day and said that we should be conceived in our mothers. That was an act of God, not an act of our mom or our dad. That was an act of God that conception would happen. So he spoke into existence, you and me even, and he continues to do so. But we see clearly throughout the Bible that God is a God who recreates or newly creates. And here's what Paul says to substantiate this. 2 Corinthians five seventeen and 18. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, key words, in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. We're going to stop there. But I'm showing you that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is responsible for creation and new creation. All creation activity is a responsibility and an activity of the triune God. And Peter makes that explicit in verse 2 of 1 Peter chapter 1. So turn with me there if you're not yet. And I want you to see how Peter makes this his focus of encouragement to these exiles who are experiencing the ravages of war in the world that they live in. Now, let's remember from last Sunday, Peter tells his recipients and he tells us that we are elect exiles. We are exiles in that we do not call this world home. New American Standard Bible calls us aliens. I think the New King James calls us pilgrims. Okay? Uh, I can't remember what translation. We're called sojourners. Okay? These are all terms that say we don't belong here. And here is in the world that we live in. When we're born again in a new creation in Jesus Christ, our citizenship goes to a kingdom called heaven where Jesus Christ is the king and he reigns for all of eternity. And so we're elect exiles. We don't call this world home. We call heaven and the kingdom of God home. And because of this, if you remember last week, the world treats us with hostility because we don't belong to this world. And I took us last week to John 15. Just listen to this. This is Jesus speaking in the upper room right after the Last Supper. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. You hear this citizenship? But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hated Jesus. The world hates Jesus' followers. We are exiles in the world because Jesus has chosen us out of the world. And so the Bible is clear that God in his mercy chose us out of the world. And one place that we see that clearly is 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 2. And actually 3 through 12 can be added to that as well. And so here's what Peter tells us about our salvation and how it's attributable to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So read with me 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, And for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So there you hear it. Father, Spirit, Jesus Christ. Peter is telling us that the Trinity is responsible for us being chosen by God who is one to be citizens of his kingdom. And so we're going to break down for the rest of this Time We're going to break down these three persons of the Godhead in this short verse, and we're going to understand how these three persons of our one God were, were evident in our salvation. So first, let's look at God the Father. 
Peter writes that we are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And I want to review just briefly last week what we said. How should we define this term elect exiles, elect, and foreknowledge? Elect means to choose or to select. It's real simple. It means to choose or to select. And foreknowledge could simply mean that God foresaw whom would believe in him. And we would be right to believe this. That's a faithful understanding of foreknowledge, that God is omniscient, which means he's all-knowing, and he can look into the past, the present, and the future, and he can know everything perfectly. That is true about our God. He is omniscient. But it's right to believe, as we look at the word foreknowledge throughout the Council of Scripture, that it means that plus. It means that plus. And we spent a lot of time on that last Sunday, and I'd refer you back to that sermon. You could get that online. But let me say right here, it also means that God ordains whom he would elect, who would be his people. And it is God's predetermining to have a relationship with you based upon his merciful and gracious eternal plan. That's what foreknowledge means in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. And so now let me ask this question. As it relates to God the Father, why were Peter's people exiled? Why was his recipients of his letter, why are we, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, why are we exiles in this world that we live in? It is attributable to God the Father's election of us to become his chosen people and to therefore be aliens in this world. God took us out of the world by saying, you are mine. And when the world sees that we are his, we are aliens. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims. We are exiles. And his choosing of his people makes them citizens of an alternative place, the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of this world. So first, Peter wants to encourage us as we wage war that we are experiencing this battle because God in his graciousness has chosen us to be his people. And so the message is don't be discouraged. Nothing strange is happening to you. This happened to Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, then it will happen to you. So be encouraged and be strong and endure through this. Number two, the Spirit. Look at what he says about the Spirit. We are elect exiles in the sanctification of the Spirit, Peter writes. Now, why was Peter's audience exiled according to the sanctification of the Spirit? First of all, sanctification, big word, simple definition. It means to be set apart. To sanctify something is to take it and set it apart and to purify it and to make it holy. And we are a holy people through the holiness of Jesus Christ if we believe in him. And so the Spirit sanctified these people that Peter's writing to. If you believe in Jesus, you have been sanctified by the Spirit. You've been set apart from this world. And the world hates you for it because the world hates Jesus and the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is our source of election. I do want you to turn to John chapter 3. I want you to see the work of the Holy Spirit 
in the, in the process of new birth. It's kind of a fitting text. I did not really plan this. Kind of a fitting text to read on Mother's Day. Listen to Jesus talking with Nicodemus. In John 3, we'll start in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, so here's this new creation thought again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Don't you love it? He's just being so literal here. And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You hear the citizenship language here. There's a kingdom that one needs to be reborn into, and it's done through water and Spirit. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And listen to verse 8. This is all about the Holy Spirit, verse 8. The wind... Blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's a nice passage to fit in with what Peter's saying. The sanctification of the Spirit, the new birth that comes through the Spirit, sets us apart into the kingdom of heaven. And that is the work that's done by God the Spirit. It's not a work that we did on our own. We needed God, the Holy Spirit, to save us. And He does. If we believe. So when we are saved, we are set apart. And when we become believers, according to God's plan, we become exiles. And Peter says, Dear elect exiles, fret not. You are in exile because of the foreknowledge of God the Father. You are in exile because of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. So what's happening to you is according to God's perfect plan. And all will be well. Do you feel the encouragement of that, the weight of that this morning? That that as you endure trials and tribulations in this world... Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you will persevere and you will be strong through it all. And you will experience the eternal kingdom where your citizenship is with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit forever. Peter's saying to us, don't give up. Don't give up. Because God's salvation is through and through final and ultimate for you. Now let's look at the third. Let's look at God the Son. We are elect exiles, according to Peter, there at the end of verse 2, for, for two reasons. He says, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. So there are two things about the role of the Son, Jesus Christ, that we need to be aware of in our salvation this morning. And the first one is, for obedience to Jesus Christ. The obedience that is to be demonstrated is our obedience. This is not Jesus' obedience. This is our obedience. We are to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So we have a role in this salvation that God is giving us. 
Our salvation is not merely an intellectual acceptance of the gospel, of the Bible. We don't just go, yeah, that's, that seems to be true, okay. And we stop right there. No, we say, that is true, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to be obedient to Christ in the words that I read of Him in the Bible. So it's not something that's done to us by God. We are not robotic. We are not unresponsive. We're not irresponsible. We have a, a responsibility in our salvation. God is sovereign and man is responsible. Paul writes, work out your faith with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you. So the right way, if you put that in order, because God's at work in you, work out your faith with fear and trembling. That's what's happening here. We are to be obedient to Jesus Christ and submit to him and his commands so that our salvation is tried and true and certain and sure. 1 John 2.16, the Apostle John writes this, And by this we know that we have come to know Jesus, if we keep His commandments, obedience. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So our salvation requires us to be obedient to Jesus Christ and follow his commands. And if we say with our mouth that we believe in him, but we do not obey his commandments, John says we're a liar and the truth isn't in us. So Christian and non-Christian here this morning... To be one of God's chosen people. It does take Him for knowing you and setting you apart in the Holy Spirit. But it does require that you and I read the words of Christ, embrace His commands, and follow them happily, worshipfully, until He comes again or calls us home. That's Christianity. It's not a mental assent to something that's neat to think about. It is a mental ascent. It is a heartfelt belief. It is being born again by God. And it is fleshed out in daily, hourly, minutely obedience to His commands. If we defy His commands, then we are not His people. We are lying. And then we see this phrase, and for the sprinkling with His blood. That is a strange phrase. Especially if you're not familiar with the Bible. Because that seems weird. Sprinkling blood. What is going on with that? In the Old Testament, blood had to be shed. God set it up this way. Blood had to be shed to pave the way for forgiveness. So you know that in the Old Testament, millions upon millions of animals are sacrificed year after year after year by the priests. And the blood is taken and it's offered to God on the altar. And what we now know on this side of the New Testament and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was all of that blood in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross where He shed His blood for you and me. All of the Old Testament blood sacrifice and animal sacrifice was pointing to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Leviticus 17, 11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you 
that on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life that's in it. And you've got to go back to Genesis, Genesis uh, uh, 2. can't remember the verse. Where God said, if you disobey my commands, you will surely die. And in the blood is found life. And so life had to be taken to fulfill God's command that you will die if you disobey me. And so here we have this introduction in the Old Testament to blood. And Peter ties Jesus' sacrifice to that Old Testament blood sacrifice. And so what we think here, if you will turn with me, this will be the last passage we turn to. Go to Exodus chapter 24, second book in the Bible, right after Genesis. Exodus 24, it seems that Peter has drawn from this passage to explain to us this idea that in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we are to be both obedient and there is a sprinkling of His blood that is upon us. So let's quickly look at this to see if we can make sense about what Peter's saying to us. Exodus chapter 24, starting in verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord. And all the rules. This is not long after the Ten Commandments that we went through recently. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. You hear the obedience? We'll do it. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. So here comes some blood now. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said... All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So in this passage, we hear obedience, pledges from the people of God, And God chose these people of all the people in the world. He chose Abraham and built a mighty nation out of them. And he speaks to them and gives them commands. And the people say, all that God has said, we will do. We will be obedient. And God takes blood from an oxen and has Moses splatter the altar with it. Whereby God is signifying we're entering into a covenant. I need you to enter into a covenant with me, people. I need you to believe in me and I need you to obey me. And after the people say, we will do all that you've said, God seals it by having Moses sprinkle blood over the people. Can you imagine that day, by the way? Can you imagine that day? (laughs) Let me tell you what that day pointed to. That day pointed to a cross on a hill called Calvary where the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was crucified and shed His blood. And the blood of Jesus Christ 
is figuratively sprinkled on all of us even 2,000 years later. And the sprinkling happens through belief. When we believe in Jesus Christ, His blood is sprinkled on us. And we enter into the covenant and we become citizens of the kingdom of God. That's what's happening with this cross in relation to Exodus chapter 24. And when we say, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, there is a sprinkling of his blood that figuratively spiritually happens. Not literally. But we're getting the benefit of what the people of Israel got in Exodus 24. And God is sealing his covenant with his people. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Why blood? Because life is in the blood. And we get new life when we get sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ who died for us. Little bit complicated, but I want to give you a glimpse that Peter's not just willy-nilly writing stuff. He is inspired by the Holy Spirit and it draws from Exodus chapter 24 because our God never changes Our God speaks to us throughout the ages. In the Old Testament, He pointed people to Jesus Christ. And now in the church age that we live in, we get the privilege of looking back to the Old Testament and looking back to the New Testament and seeing those merge. And as we do that, we turn our glance forward to the future because Jesus Christ is coming again to gather up His elect exiles and He's going to say to them, Welcome home. That's what's happening. That's Christianity in a nutshell. Can't get any simpler than that. So we live in a hostile world. Yes, we do. There are some days this next week, on Tuesday, you may feel the world railing against you more than you did last week. I've talked to some of you, and last week you felt the world beating on you. And we need Peter's letter Because we need to be encouraged to endure. We need to understand that this is not strange what's happening to us. We've not made a bad choice. And now we're paying the the consequences for it. Sometimes we are. But if it's because we believe in Jesus Christ, we have not made a wrong choice. We didn't take the wrong road. We took the right road. And Peter's saying, stay on it. Because your salvation is sure because you were saved by God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And in the coming week message, next week, we're going to see that that salvation from Father, Son, and Spirit cannot be taken. It is sealed, set, and done for those who truly profess Jesus Christ as Lord. So I want to close by asking a question. How will you respond to this message? There are two people here in this room, two kinds of people here in this room. There are Christians who believe in Jesus Christ and their salvation is secure in Him. How do you respond to this truth in 1 Peter 1-2? You must respond with worship. You must say, thank you, God, number one, for electing me out of this world, calling me to be separate from this world, because this world is against you, God, and you said, come to me, and so I am right with you. 
You are to too understand that the, the struggles that you experience in this world are an indicator that your citizenship is elsewhere. And that elsewhere will be guaranteed in your future. It's coming and you will reside there for all of eternity. This right now is light and momentary affliction. But what waits for you for eternity is not light, it's heavy. And it's not momentary, it's eternal. And it's not affliction, it's pleasure. And it's the pleasure of worshiping the God who made you and remade you. That's the response this morning if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The other person that's here this morning does not believe in Jesus Christ at this moment. You are not a Christian, yet you feel the weight of this world railing against you, bearing down upon you. You're not at peace. Everything's a struggle. Everything's a battle. And you just want to relax. You just want to take a deep breath. And I'm going to tell you, you won't without Jesus Christ. You will not have peace in this world without Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, you will not have peace for eternity without Jesus Christ. You will have eternal war in a place that Jesus speaks of very clearly, very vividly, and very often. Hell. And it's real. It's not a figment of imagination. It is real. And it's not just being separated from God. It is a place where the fire is never quenched. And so you need to hear this this morning, and, and you need to understand that the, the war that you're experiencing in this life is a foretaste to hell. And it's going to be worse than this. And so God beckons you this morning. Come to Him. Believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. Receive Christ and receive the Holy Spirit and become one of God's elect exiles in this world and transfer your citizenship to the kingdom of heaven. That's the appeal this morning. That's what the Bible calls you to do. So I urge you this morning, believe in Jesus, profess Him as Lord, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of us in this room. I pray for those of us that believe in Jesus Christ, that we would read passages like this, and that our eyes would be opened and we'd be recalibrated to stand firm in this world that you've called us to live in, knowing that the battle has already been won and that we're in a light and momentary skirmish. But our eternity is certain and good. Father, I pray for those in this room that do not believe in Jesus Christ. I pray that not one of them right now would be saying, does he really believe that? I pray that no one would say, this is a figment of someone's imagination. I pray that no one would say, this Bible is merely a collection of, of wisdom writings by some men over the ages. I, I pray, Father, that they would realize that this is the living Word of God. And that this morning you would call them into a relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, and you would fill them with the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they would be right with you and call you Father. And I pray all this for your glory and for our benefit. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.